This program has been brought to you by a grant from the law offices of John Jacob Jingleheimer and Schmidt. Our firm should be your firm, too. And thanks to listeners like you. Thank you. Welcome back to Dance Story the Dance, the Dorothy Arzner podcast exclusive to the Patreon. My name is B. Peterson. I'm your host, and with me as always is... Mark Edward Hoyk. All right, we're we're down to the penultimate film. We're, we've only got two films left, today's film and her final film. And, oh boy, wow. Again, just wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um... Today we're talking about her 1932 film, Dorothy Arzner's... We're going through all of the films of Dorothy Arzner. We left this for last because it's the brand new Criterion release. Um, just came out as a recording this last month. And yeah, it's it's merely we go to hell, people. Um, and you have never seen a more gorgeous trip into the fiery furnace. Yeah, um, this... this there you can go go i encourage everyone to go read the article on criterion that just goes into all of the stuff that um was all of the effort that it took to get the the film restored and i am so glad they went through that effort because it looks gorgeous i mean again we're dealing with like even aside from dance girl dance um which is also criterion uh, uh blu-ray everything we've been we've seen has been pretty much uh, DVD quality at best, and most of it has been VHS quality at best, and so VHS quality of sixteen millimeter dupe prints from the early days of syndication. Right. Best. So yeah, like w- working girls, like there's literally like black silhouettes just offset from all of the characters. Like it's it's what we've been dealing with and to watch this to watch the paramount logo come up on screen and it to be crystal clear i was just oh and yeah this this movie i mean this movie's great but this movie's also really great because it looks so gorgeous mm-hmm. um yeah it it makes me even angrier that that all of arzner's films aren't aren't be able to be witnessed in such high quality Yes, and I gotta say, this is my second viewing of Merrily We Go to Hell, and there was already a reasonably good-looking uh, home video release of it as part of a whole pre-code box set, but this is even better than that one was. Mm-hmm. This one is literally sparkling. Um, yeah, because Sylvia Sidney's dress at the beginning of the film is just sparkling, and they they, they let you know this has got all the little... Th- anyway, just, yeah, beautiful, beautiful transfer, um, beautiful restoration, and, yeah, please please go buy this Blu-ray. Um, I want, yeah, um, and Criterion, please get everything else of Dorothy Arzner's and put it out, or someone, just this... Anyway, I mean, let's. UCLA has done some of the work right, for you. Right. You, you just need to 
get that on the scanner bed. Yeah, get it to us, please. Um, I don't know. It might be the case that by the time this comes out, that Merrily We Go to Hell is on the channel, is on Criterion Channel, in which case, go subscribe to the Criterion Channel. Because right. I know Dance Girl Dance is now on the channel. Yes. Um, I've seemingly probably as like for for the time being and indefinitely because they own it and so they could they have the rights to it so anyway yeah um merrily we go to hell it stars this is our fourth um it wasn't the let's see here was it the last that arsner did with frederick march as well um four because there was there was the wild party there was Honor Among Lovers, there was Sarah and Son, and there was Merrily We Go to Hell. So this was their final collaboration with Frederick March, and this will be the last time that we see Frederick March um, in this podcast. Um, and for the first time in an Arsner film, excluding Behind the Makeup, um, which she was just co-directing for Robert Milton, um, we've got we've got a male protagonist. I mean, it's definitely a two-hander between Frederick March and Sylvia Sidney, but he is the person we're following for the most for most of this movie. And um, I love men writing or women writing men. Um, yes. He, and Frederick March is finally given a character. I mean, okay, I didn't like him in the Wild Party. That's well documented <laughs> by this point. I, 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 he is the worst part of that movie, even though he's giving a decent performance. Um, he's charming enough in Sarah and Son. And though Frederick March gave a good performance, I didn't buy um, his character in Honor Among Lovers. Finally, we have a character that, though, no matter how imperfect he is, I'm rooting for him the entire frickin' time. Um, this is, I mean, is this a tragedy? I mean, it's it's a cynical romance, is what this movie is. It's a romance, it's almost like an anti-romance kind mm -hmm. of thing. This is, Dorothy Arzner hates heterosexual marriage. I don't know if you could tell. Um, and I was talking about like Christopher Strong almost functions just as a thesis statement for why heterosexual marriage is bad. This movie isn't really about the ideas. It's just showing you the worst marriage ever, or at least maybe, okay, not the worst marriage ever. Showing you all of the follies of traditional marriage, um, through two people that you, that you know how, how how hard it is for them to be together how it's not really working but at the same time you're just rooting for them you 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 can't you can't stand them together and yet you need them to succeed um uh, yeah yeah that uh it, this was i remember it being an emotional watch the first time and you know seeing it again i was kind of stealing myself up for the heavier moments and I'm glad I made it through them again I because <laughs> it's you know, the, this this one ta this one ta ta takes you through the ringer right right I it didn't it didn't devastate me the way that Christopher Strong did but it does definitely take you through the ringer um yeah it's um so yeah what what, what we got we got we got Jerry Corbett Jerry Corbett played by Frederick match he's a newspaper man. Um, and he's a drunk. <laughs> this is, we, we open with him drinking and drinking and drinking. He's literally just surrounded by beer bottles at the, at, they're at a party. And he, he runs into Sylvia Sidney, who is playing, um, uh, uh, Joan Pr Prentice. And they hit it off. Because they're attracted to each other. They think each other are hot. Mm -hmm. Or, as Frederick March will tell you, 
Swell. <laughs> and swell rhymes with hell. Uh, <laughs> I didn't put it together. Here's a very good observation, Mark. This is why I've got you on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and she, he's clearly drunk, um, but she entertains him anyway, and she's like, yeah, I'll give you my number. You won't call me, but I'll give you my number. But lo and behold, the very next day, he does call her and say, yeah, I'm going to show up to this party. I'm going to come early, and I'm going to stay late. No, he just shows up way late. Uh from the get-go, we know that Frederick March is a problem. That Jerry Corbett does not have a handle on himself. He cannot get it together. Um, and yet we we follow them anyway as they fall into love with each other and fall into romance and basically immediately decide to get married. Yes, and uh, like some a little bit of background uh, in my in my formative years. My very first exposure to Sylvia Sidney was watching a rerun of uh, My Three Sons from the 60s, where, you know, she's already, you know, she's doing a guest role. I think she was playing Ernie's teacher and, you know, very kind of, you know, polite, matronly role. And then, of course, there's that wonderful third wind uh, she got uh, in in uh, Tim Burton's mm-hmm. movies playing right. just this sort of cackling i've seen it all and mm-hmm. i don't give a damn character you just like mars attacks is a very uneven movie but the moment where she says they blew up congress <laughs> so it's such it, it it so it's such a jolt to see her as a young vulnerable ingenue and she's just so lovely and and fragile. And she's and... magnetic, is what she mm-hmm. is. Um, yeah, this is my first Sylvia Sidney film. I mean, I've seen Beetlejuice, um, and so like, so I've technically seen her, but this is the first like, yeah, I'm gonna see a movie with Siv- Sylvia Sidney, and yeah, she just pops right off the screen, doesn't she? Um, it, I was. Yeah, I mean, Frederick March, I mean, also because of, this is because of the transfer, Frederick March is the handsomest he's ever been, mm-hmm. um, and Sylvia Sidney is just gorgeous, and you you buy that they're falling in love with each other, you see all the red flags, on the second date he still can't say anything more than you're swell, and you know that that's become about to be, that's going to be the thread, that's going to be the problem. I've been there when someone just can't say the right words, they're just, they just, they just hold back a bit, and you're like, you're not, you're not going to commit are you no you're not going to commit but they get married they they decide they're going to get married um frederick march in celebration gets drunk i mean he's whatever's going to happen he's going to get drunk anyway but he goes out he's going to get drunk and um running around looking for a baritone um which okay this is this is me showing my ignorance so i'm a tenor but as far as i know there's soprano alto tenor, tenor and bass, bass. Where's the baritone fit in? Uh, baritone would be between tenor and bass. Okay, so why not? Why aren't they just looking for a bass? Uh, I think because I think the idea is that <sighs> this is totally not important. By the way, I'm just curious. <laughs> I I think it's because in the context of the movie, it's with it's uh Jerry with his best male friend, his best female friend, mm-hmm. and. I think the idea is that, well, we've got one woman. She's just she's gonna do the high stuff. So yeah. let's just fill all the other male parts. Right. You're an alto. I'm a tenor. Let's go find us a baritone. Yeah, 
and also because if they already had a soprano and they're looking for an alto, basically that means they'd have to go looking for another woman. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, Not a good thing to do when you're about to announce that you're getting married. Right, and yeah, and so the the two people he's hanging out with are Buck and Vi. Buck is played by Skeets Gallagher, um, and Vi is played by um, Esther Howard. Yeah, and uh, Skeets Gallagher is basically kind of playing the half-comic relief, half- you know, weary observer role mm. that uh, Charlie Ruggles was playing in Honor Among uh, Lovers. Right. He's the belabored best friend. Yes. He's just, I'm like, uh, 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 at one point he's like, can you just go talk to him? And he's like, I'm tired of getting blue in the face. Um, and so, and yeah, and so they go out, they go out drinking, and he kind of lets slip when his reporter buddy is in the room that he's like I'm gonna go get married to, to Joan Apprentice and he writes this up in the gossip column oh well he well he's not he's not his buddy he's like the one person on the newspaper that he does not right you're right and I think he, I never read your column <laughs> yeah he, he, he I would dare say he's potentially the gay coded character because he's the gossip person mm. and he's the one always listening in you know could, yeah and, i guess i see it i guess uh, he acts a little too aggressive i think for for at least to fit in with the other queer coded characters that we've seen over this podcast but but i guess i i but i, I if if arsner told me that that's what she intended i'd be like yeah i buy it uh, well i mean he he's he's got the he's got the attitude of uh, perez hilton you know i heard it in a public place therefore it's public domain yeah um but anyway so he publishes this um and and he punches him in the throat for it no wait no that happens at the end no 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 it happens at the beginning yeah it's at, happens yeah, it's at, at the, the beginning, beginning. Yeah, right yeah where he's like um yeah, I guess you're you you've you've gone because oh we we haven't mentioned this. Uh, uh, Corbett has a has a former love, um, Claire Hepburn, played by um, played by uh, Adrian, Adrian Allen, and we see again another red flag is he's is he's going out with um, with Sylvia Sidney, but he's coming back home and basically sticking it to this gigantic portrait that's hanging over his desk of Claire and saying, see, I can move past you as I'm talking to your portrait. Uh, no. <laughs> yes, and also we we should bring up the fact that uh, that uh, Joan is very affluent. She comes right. from an extremely rich family and... Who I believe sells some sort of meat product, maybe? Well, or some grocery grocery they're, product. They're like a they're they're like a food manufacturer because right. later at one their point stuff comes in cans. Right. Yeah. And because later at one point they, uh, George or George Frederick goes out shopping and comes back with some canned stuff and it's like it's not a it's treason it's treason it's not apprentice product. Um, yeah. But so it would be like you know date, like when uh, John Kerry married uh, the heiress to a uh, Heinz ketchup. Yeah. <laughs> So, so when this gossip columnist you know writes about this, what he's bringing up is the fact that he's marrying rich, mm -hmm. and he's and he had a goil, right? Know? So it's, he's, like, he's like you're adding, moving from like I don't know like the the stage the to, stage to the Rolls Royce. At which point Frederick Marsh just knocked just just throw straight up throat punches him. He, <laughs> yes, because there's also a reasonable age difference between March's character. And Joan. Oh you know, that, yes, he is. That, he is older. 
Yes, that Jerry was date was dating Claire Hempstead when they were both the same age, mm-hmm. but you know she picked the stage and he you know went into newspapers and now he's older and newspaper men don't make a great deal of money. So if at he's one point he says eighty. Heiress, I think he says eighty five a week at one point. Um, according to uh, the IMDb, uh, Jerry mentions his salary is eighty five dollars per week, which equates to $1,545 per week in 2020, and this would be more than four times the average wage in the year w- the film was released. So that's not bad, actually. That's that's pretty good money. Um, I mean, I would love to be making $1,545 per week. Um, anyway, um, and, and this is a post-depression film, and they acknowledge it as such, um, at one point. It's like, what, the depression? What's the depression? Oh, it's this, it's the sucking place on your back. Um, anyway. Um, but what happens is he goes to, uh, uh, the, the Prentice household, because, um, the father would like to talk, um, and Sylvia would also like to talk, and they go, and Sylvia's happy, George Irving, playing um, uh, Mr. Prentice, is not happy and, in fact, offers him $50,000 to just not go through with it. Again, a lot of money. Um, but as, 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 as uh, Frederick March puts it, uh, uh, Sylvia, or not Sylvia, <laughs> uh, Joan means more to me than $50,000 means to you, which, that's pretty poetic. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're they're going to get married. However, at the engagement ball that they put on, Frederick March doesn't show up because guess what? He's drunk again. Drunk in the taxi. Yes, just straight up passed out. Like, he's not even conscious. Um, and at one point, one of uh, uh, Sylvia's friends, uh, uh, Joan's friends, is like, are you really going to marry this guy? And she's looking off forlorn and then fade to church bells. They're going to get married. People are surprised that he showed up to the wedding. Um, and yeah, it's it's the saddest wedding you've ever seen. Um, because he can't even find the ring. Um, he's looking for the ring and he's looking for the ring. He finally finds the ring. And it's a great little piece of cinema where he, the where the, he's holding up the ring, you know, with the closed fist, you know, holding on to just one end of it, and finally puts it on her finger, and then we get the great shot of her turning up, open her hand, and we realize that it wasn't a ring; it's a key, or is it a key ring? What is it? it it's it's a bottle opener. Oh, it's, that's oh, it's, it's to it, of course, it's a yes, it's to open a bottle of wine. That's right. Yeah, so. There you go. They, they are bonded in inebriation. Yeah. Um, so, yep. Uh, he says he lost the ring, probably while he was drunk. And, yeah, it so begins this... I mean, it's not a sad marriage. They love each other so much, but... And he, go, you know, and he goes clean. Right. Right. But he's... Yeah, he's, but he still, he still can't say, I love you. He still can't say those words. He can still only ever say... You're swell. You're the most swell girl I know. And he's now transitioned. He wants to be a playwright. Um, however, that doesn't go well. And he gets three rejection letters saying that you have no merit. And he frames them on his wall. And instead of having an acceptance party, like I'm, your pro- play is going to be produced, he has a rejection party that is just going to be him and Sylvia and uh, Skeets and uh, Esther. Uh, and they're all just going to hang out. And, man... 
Jerry's just not the best husband. He drops the food. He, he can't do anything right. You you love him, but he just... It just... Mm-hmm. You root for him, he, but he's... He's not He's, he's, he's not Falstaff, but he's of that ilk. Um, he's not serving that, like, character role, but he's just... You, you just... You can't... He just can't do it all the way. He can't succeed all the way. Um, something's gotta go wrong. And th- this whole sequence is such a master class in how to change tone because mm-hmm. we're starting off with this party for four that is already kind of tense because we know that uh, Jerry is white knuckling his, his sobriety and you know they've come over for a less than auspicious occasion he's still trying to be you know, upbeat and Say, oh well, they canceled me. Well, they don't know. They don't know what they've, what mistake they've made. And right. I'm going to serve the dinner. And you know, he's trying to play around with it. And of course, he drops the food. And you know, it's this tense moment because you're feeling like, oh, you know, he's he's losing his edge. Right. And then this Deus Ex Machina comes in fr- from a telegram saying that someone does want to produce mm-hmm. his play and. You know, get to New York as quickly as you can. And, and they're so happy. Like, they're literally jumping up, picking each other up, and it's... And, it, and this time, uh, the friend who has been trying to clean up his mess has, you know, picked it up, and the door hits it again, and the chicken falls on the ground a second time, and, and now this it's time, hilarious. Yes, it's... it's Because it's everyone a, is relieved. Right, <laughs> it's 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 a masterful bit of, of direction, isn't it? Yes. Um, yeah, um... Yeah, and then it turns out, though, and this is where the plot just comes in, is like, hi, we've got to develop things. Um, it's not all going to go well, in case you haven't <laughs> seen the red flags. Um, guess who's going to be starring in this play? Oh, yeah, it's Claire. Um, and in that very scene, he starts drinking again. Yes. Uh, it's, it's, it's so subtle, but you know exactly what's going to happen, and you, you hope it's not going to happen, where he can't drink, but Claire's like, oh, but I'll take one. And then they sit down together on the couch, and he's like, oh, can you hold the drink for me? And then he, then she starts talking, and he gets nervous, and he gets nervous, and he just starts to, he just sips, sips, downs it, and we cut to Sylvia Sidney, just heart-melting. Just mm-hmm. face melting. Just oh no, here that we go. That it is a moment that, looking at it this time, it uh, reminded me of one of the the pivotal moments in uh, Somerset Mom's The Razor's Edge, where a you know a woman who has been denied the opportunity to reconnect with uh, a man that she once loved. Uh, retaliates by taking the woman who he is romancing, who has been white knuckling sobriety, and gets her back on the sauce. Mm-hmm. You know that you know that if I that well, maybe I can't have him, but I'm not going to make things easier for you. Right. Um. Yeah. And it and it leads to the play goes well. The play goes great. Play goes gangbusters. Um. And. Sylvia goes back to congratulate Frederick March on this and, of course, finds him plastered. Um, and it just... I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to run through this because I want to get to the bits of this movie that are mind-bogglingly subversive. But 
it's it it leads us to where the relationship is things are ostensibly going better for them they're more successful but also their relationship is falling apart because he's just can't get over his alcoholism and it leads to the point where it's so bad and she's clearly sees that he's gonna he's obviously back with claire and claire is getting him to drink again and all of this stuff and it leads it leads joan to drink which is something that at the very first scene she doesn't drink and when she finally drinks and gets drunk it leads to this incredible scene where frederick march is now still drunk basically trying to act the sober person and it's this reversal of of roles and leads to is like okay i admit i'm i'm being with claire but but just tell me not to do it just tell me please tell me to stop and she opens like go please go lock the door so i can't leave and she goes and she opens the door and it's this it's it's so just tearing into you of just what what you're witnessing is like you you understand exactly why everyone is at this point and yet you just you can't see it happen and yet you can't stop watching because it leads to polyamory yes <laughs> yeah that you know that we've already been presented with this paradoxical situation where Jerry is asking for restraint mm-hmm. and you know that you know, show me you love me by restraining me and in turn she is saying show me you love me by restraining yourself mm-hmm. and when and when he doesn't do that when he goes and when he leaves and when he comes back, she's made up her mind. She's like, fine, if you're going to see other people, I've got a date. And at this point, this is when my jaw dropped. This is the first time I saw this movie. And I was just like, they are going there. And they, I mean, if this were made remade today, um, this, what we basically we see them at a party. And it's Claire and, and Jerry at a party together. And then it's, and then it's Joan with Cary Grant, <laughs> little baby Cary Grant. Yes. Um, and like in a modern day, like the it it gives you this kind of vibe that like they're at this you know fancy dance party where clearly like all the couples are just laying around making out. Like nowadays, this would be like an orgy. Like this would be this just about yeah and. And this is and and we're seeing them like they're just openly being with other people. These are two married people. Like this is a pre-code film, but there were still issues with censoring with this film. People were like, I, they, people wanted certain scenes to be cut. Um, specifically, I noticed that Ohio, um, the state of Ohio, wanted to censor this film. Um, so we Spokane has tried to censor Arsner, and uh, turns out Ohio has tried to censor Arsner. So I guess both of our states have issues. And well, uh, and the the Los Angeles Times would not print the title "Merrily We Go, go to, to Hell. Hell," right? Just "Merrily We Go to." Yes. Um. Yeah, and so we get this whole sequence of just them being in an open relationship with other, with I mean, he's with Claire, but she's just with other men, and it's. It it's it is kind of the er moment uh, between the you know the playful uh, spanking uh, theme of charming, charming sinners. sinners, and then the the upending of uh, a heteronormative uh, 
relationships in Christopher Strong. Right. You know that that, that this is that this is the mo- that this is like the big transition point b- mm. between those two. Movies. Right. But but in Charming Sinners, it's light. Yes. And in Christopher Strong, it's like this is this is searing. This is vicious filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Like Arzner is leaving. Is she is. She is like yeah, like it is just like a razor cutting into you. Is like this. She is so cynical in this in this whole sequence, to building up to the point where Sylvia just says, "Hey, Frederick, make out with her in front of me in our house." Like it's just the it's so cynical and so subversive and so powerful, and and it just yeah, it just it blew my freaking mind. It and. Watch, watching this a second time, something else occurred to me, which is that I, I couldn't help wondering if a chunk of this story was almost a metaphor for people, for closeted people who get into ostensibly straight relationships. You know, not, not, I'm not trying to compare homosexuality to alcoholism, but what okay. I am saying is that 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 it just Jerry doesn't is, work that Jerry is trying to displace what he really wants he's trying to get find, a beard finding safe harbor with someone and when he's lapsing back into his old ways this person he's with is still so in love with him and wants to be in that world that it's like I'm going to go in here with you it's you know, like fine. I'll try being gay. Yeah, you know, or or you know, I'll we'll try having a threesome, or we'll try we'll try doing this kind of life that I am not made for. Right, and ultimately, uh, uh, Joan isn't made for it. She's like, you know what? I'm sorry, this isn't working for me. Is like I I I get that that it's working for you, but oh, I'm sorry, I'm leaving because also at one point she was feeling after one of these parties. Um, that she was at, you know, where people are like just tracing her back, open her open back, and dancing with all of these men. She doesn't feel well, and we get to this time. It it I I caught it before it was revealed. So and this time we get we get another scene. This time the doctor's right there. Is like yes, you should definitely stay in bed. You've got someone else to worry about now. Um, I don't remember the exact line, but just like and it, it was only a few minutes later. It was like. Oh, she's pregnant. Okay, I'm not going to miss it a third time. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so Sylvia Sidney's pregnant, and she's like, you know what, I'm sorry. I'm going back to my dad. I'm going back to, to have this kid. But she, notably, she's like, because Frederick March just won't give her the time of day and won't say I love you, she can't stay, and also I'm not going to tell you I'm pregnant. She's like, I'm, there was something else I was going to tell you, but you're never going to know. And And she leaves. You know, that that her her big parting shot is I can't be jealous of someone I never had. Yeah. Yep. 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 Uh, <sighs> this again, John the floor. This spectacular, spectacular filmmaking. Uh, and yeah, and then we get essentially a montage of Frederick March realizing, like he he has a. I don't know, come to Jesus moment for mm-hmm. lack of a better term. Um, where he's like, Oh, I need to say I love you. 
and he, he gets this grin on his face. He's like, yes, I can win her back if I just say those three little words. Cut to months of him being unable to get anything out to her because she is just refusing all contact. Well, it it's gradually revealed that it's more likely that her father right. has been intervening in the same manner that the friends intervene in Nana. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I forget if we've had other uh, Arsner stories where someone has been jock-blocking communication between people. Um, I mean, the Bride Ward Red has an element of that, but it's not the same thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that... 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 We... We can't be certain... We're... We're willing to believe that she's been, you know, mm. cutting him off, but then once he's calling the house and it's her father answering, we're beginning to think, oh, you know, he's... He's right. exerting the right. control. Right, right. Yeah, and... And, and this is why I say that Frederick March is the protagonist of this film, because for a good chunk of the movie, Sylvia's out of it. Uh, mm-hmm. Joan isn't in it, and we're just following him. Um, and, and yeah, and ultimately, he's the guy with the arc. He's the guy that learns yes. to, to be better. I mean, the ending, we'll get to it, is ambiguous, um, but, um, but he is the one that has to get, a, a, again, like, learn how to, to be better, um, and... Yeah, I mean, eventually it's revealed once again through the gossip columnist that she has she had her kid, but it just says that she had her kid. Um, after months of being apart, being separated from the husband, she finally had a child. And Frederick March, as soon as he learned this, basically is like, "Okay, uh, thank you for telling us, Pat. Pat, I'm off." And he runs, and we're at the last scene of the movie, and. If you thought it couldn't get more heartbreaking than it already was, um, he gets there and it turns like, and he has this moment where he sees a little baby and he's just like, "Oh, the baby's so precious!" And he finally gets to the room. There's Irving right outside the room, and he's like, "You're not going in there." It's like, "No, I've got to see my kid." And he's like, "The kid's dead." <sighs> kid's dead. Yeah. They, they never say what happened, but there's probably the implication that, you know, depending on how soon she got pregnant, it might have been the lifestyle she was leading. That. Right. Yeah. Um, and and from here on, it's just, this scene is just so intense. Like, this is intensity. Like, this is ratched. This is, we're up to ten here, where these two men, and, and it is two men trying to assert their their pride over each other we've got the father who it turns out has been denying access to to joan and he's like the baby is dead i've lost my grandkid and it turns out that joan might not make it either and if she doesn't make it i'm going to kill you and and right immediately frederick throws it right back in the face it's like oh if she dies you won't have to and it's just it's 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 dark it's yeah it's really dark and it's and it's not played for there is no levity no. at all he says like fine just just go tell her i'm here and see if she wants me he goes in she's she's dying apparently it seems that way well she's not well right she's she is she is on the brink and she just says send for jerry please like this is as far as i know the last moments i need to see jerry 
And he's like, okay. He gets up. He walks out of the room. He's like, she doesn't want to see you. And there's this moment where you think that, oh, no. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't throw us into the complete tragedy yeah. where she dies not knowing that he was outside the door. But he's like, you know what? No, I'm sorry. And he goes in. Irving goes to stop him then doesn't. He goes in. He's there. And in just the most heartbreaking last line, sees him and he's like, my and he tells he tells him he finally tells her i love you 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 and she says my baby which <laughs> yeah are they gonna is she gonna make it if she does make it are they even going to work out as a couple we don't really know but we're just left there in that moment of of catharsis yeah and it's just what a way to go out um i think it's interesting that it the film ends very similar to the way that the wild party ends um with uh, a, a reuniting frederick mm-hmm. march and and the the female lead and then she's saying my some affectionate term in the wild party it's pretty freaking racist and and i hate that scene right but here it's my baby, which is just, you know, so many meanings. And... <laughs> oh, Mark. Well, not not to mention, you know, <laughs> similar to Sarah and Son. Mm-hmm. Right. True. Finally, yeah, with the reunite... Finally reuniting with the kid. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, you're, you're tearing up, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, this, this movie's freaking spectacular. Um, ugh. Yeah, no, I'm. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm mad of how how inaccessible so many of Arzner's films. I'm so freaking happy that this one is is available. Uh, this is, this is, uh, uh, again, like so so progressive. It's a brilliant feminist text. Um, there is that that queer element. Um, I think that if it is the queer element, then it's then ultimately what I'd probably read into the ending, like if we're going to go with that interpretation is that they're going to be friends. Like they love you, but it's just, it's, it's because we can't be a couple. Right. Right. Like we're, we, we can't make that work. Like but we I, can, but we can see the best in each other. And that is what made us good people. Yeah. <laughs> this, <laughs> uh, I laugh as a coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you can tell. Um, <laughs> yeah uh yeah no i mean we we took a a, a we went to we went to lunch um mm-hmm. after after seeing the film so that we could have some time between the recording and yeah it just it was about like four or five minutes of silence after the movie ended before i finally says it feels inappropriate to just ask where do you want to go for lunch yeah. <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> just this is this is a movie where people walking out of the theater i imagine were just they weren't talking um couples i I don't know this might not be a great movie for a couple to see together Um, this is not this is a bad first date movie Mm -hmm. um but but it was i mean for all it was it was kind of lampooned critically this film like a lot of a lot of people didn't like it um like they a lot of people liked the performances but said that the script and the direction were poor which even for art like even we've had we've had sexist critics before and pl- there's plenty of sexism in the rev- in the reviews of this film but even then people still generally liked Arzner 
as a director, but here they didn't even like her as a director. But however, this movie was a smash hit. Yeah, and you know, un- unfortunately, this was uh, Arzner's last film, film for, for Paramount. Paramount. Right, because the following year, they basically said, "Is like, all right, you want to take a pay cut?" And she was like, "No." And at the same time, there was a huge reorganizing within Paramount, and notably, BP Schulberg, the guy who got him, got her. She was the he was the one that she went to when she wanted to direct movies. Um, the person who's been at her side this whole time, he finally left. And yeah, and Arzner, I mean, we don't really know the exact reason. I doubt it was money because she was pretty financially stable. Um, but yeah, she was, it was, this was the last film she made for Paramount before becoming an independent and going on to do Christopher Strong. Like, by the way, what a one-two punch of Merrily We Go to Hell and Christopher Strong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a, that's a brilliant, brilliant, uh, uh, I mean, this, these movies came out within a year of each other. Uh, so yeah, Arzner, Arzner was on a roll. Um, and yeah. And uh, uh, to, uh, to give some credit to uh, the other people r- responsible, the the original uh, short story that this was uh, ca- came from is uh, call, called uh, I, Jerry, Take You, Joan by right. a woman named uh, Cleo Lucas. Right, and, and it was actually a pretty big hit uh, 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 book or, or short well, story. Well, the big, the big thing, and because I tracked down this article from 1931... Uh, where, where, uh, let's see this. Rarely do authors get their first stories accepted immediately, but that's what happened to Cleo Lucas, whose latest story, Love Stands By, will begin October 16th in the Daily Republican. Miss Lucas, while a senior at the University of Alabama two years ago, wrote the College Humor Campus Prize novel, I, Jerry, Take Thee, Joan, and won the prize of $3,000. I know hundreds of young writers have far more talent than I have, Miss Lucas said, my first success came so easily and suddenly that I think with admiration, almost reverence of the ones who try and try for years before they gain recognition. Sometimes I honestly wonder if I would have had the courage to keep on trying if my first work had been refused. Miss Lucas's latest story for readers of the Daily Republican is about Lois Corbin, pretty stenographer who is in love with Bruce Durand, a son of a wealth. While her heart aches for the boy she loves and longs to be with, Lois has to stand by and see him take out other girls which his family choose for him. Could your pride and love carry you through a marriage when you knew you would never be welcomed by your husband's people? This was the problem that confronted Lois. Read how she met it in the new love story, Love Stands By, beginning October 16th in the Daily Republican. Okay. So she was kind of kind of like Charles Dickens in that she was writing serialized Got stories uh, for syndicated newspapers. But the, the but uh, uh, Love Stands By isn't what was adapted into this. No, no. They But they mentioned the fact that she wrote this story while she was in college. Wow. And got wow. it sold and published. That's... So... Good was, on you, Cleo Lucas. You wrote a, a wallop of a story. And uh, the, the screenplay adaptation is by uh, Edwin Justice Meyer. Right. Who, um, surprisingly, you know, for a, for a male writer... Not that bad. <laughs> well, uh, who himself was both a journalist and a playwright. So yeah. Speaking from some experience, hopefully not as much self-loathing, <laughs> and uh, responsible for two uh, sterling films of the golden age, uh, Midnight with uh, Claudette Colbert okay. and uh, Don Amici, and uh, the original To Be or Not To Be with uh, Jack Benny and Carol Lombard. Okay. Um, yeah. No, this is a... 
it's pretty much a pitch perfect screenplay honestly like this this screenplay is almost like it's it's impeccable there are i will note a couple lines that reference indians that i mean little little bits of glass um and they're in there um also i want to point out because i i when we reviewed the toy wife i said that i'm going to point this out when we get to merrily we go to hell we get to see once again therese harris um who played um uh the character which i will not name in the toy wife um and she gave that movie way more more than that film deserved and she we get to see her again in a cameo essentially it's an uncredited role as a uh, ladies room uh, attendant and she just has she has a couple lines and she's the one who basically uh, uh, takes care of 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 Sylvia's Sydney when she faints after uh, uh, succumbing to uh, pregnancy <laughs> um, so so yeah so we get to see her um, really I yeah she, glad she was getting the work um anyway so yeah this 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 film is it's pretty much a perfect film um like yeah (laughs) i kind of am now a little bit regretting that we didn't go out with this one because we were saving first comes courage uh for last because that was her last Mm -hmm. door of the arsenal's last film but like yeah um this movie rules i love this film I'm going to be rewatching this film. I'm going to be crying with this film for years to come. Um, yeah. Well done. Uh, sad that Sylvia Sidney, because, you know, Dorothy Arjuna left Paramount, that she couldn't work with her again. Would have loved to see that. She's, again, just, just a great actress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's plenty of other great Sylvia Sidney performances to look for. Uh uh, one I would recommend is uh, Fritz Lang's Fury okay. with Spencer Tracy. All right. She... One I would not recommend is Madame Butterfly, where she plays a Japanese woman. Um, again, welcome to the thirties. Um, so, but yeah, Silvis, she she's great in this, and Frederick March is giving his best performance here. Easily, easily, he is he is he is stellar um you 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 hate him and you love him and you want him to succeed and you d- don't want him to because that would be enabling him yes um uh, yeah this this film is so freaking nuanced and and there's so much in there that i we can't do justice to it you just you gotta see it and thankfully it's available so go watch it um yeah that's that's what i gotta barely we go to hell mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah, a title which they say at several points throughout the movie. Um, and Almost it's, as many times as uh, they say you're swell. Uh, yeah, and and every time it's always they're trying to put a, a happy spin on it, and it's never happy uh, because it's just a doubt with the drink, and you, you, you know it's not going to go well. So, anyway. Um, so, please drink responsibly. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm underage, but I also... I don't think I will be drinking. That's just uh, that's a mental thing, with with me. But anyway, um, tangent, tangent, tangent. Sea can't. We're at the point. Um, that's that is the penultimate film for da- Dorothy Arzner. We only got one more film, and we're gonna have seen everything that is still currently existing. How does that feel? Hell, it's, we're it's at the daunting. end of a road. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, but we're not quite there yet. So. Um, so yeah, we we still got 
we got one more film and I think two more episodes of of Dance Dorothy Dance. Um, so let's 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 keep on trucking, Mark. Where yeah. can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at t h e underscore h o y k the hoik, a phonetic pronunciation of my name. Uh, you can find uh, my writings at my blog at projectorhasbeendrinking.blogspot.com. We talked about B.P. Schulberg, so uh, take a few minutes to visit IndieCollect.com, which is the film uh, restoration and uh, rescue organization run by uh, his relative Sandra Schulberg. Uh, they were in the news recently for having discovered and restored the lost George Romero film, The Amusement oh, Park. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's out on Shutter. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, when I when they, that was first announced, people were like, like this is like conceivably like for horror fans like as big as like Orson Welles the other side of the wind finally making it out and I was like well are people just gonna forget about it immediately as as people forgot about Orson Welles the other side of the wind they're like no we're horror fans we will treasure this and I'm like well all and right. also because it's not for Netflix yeah uh, where they bury your movie three weeks after they've stopped if that yeah. if that like like well, yeah anyway Netflix I don't like I, I still subscribe to we Netflix. We don't like you, Netflix. Go right. away. Right. You. I mean, thank you for Mitchell's versus the Machines and like Dear White People and Feel Good. Like all you've you've got a lot of great original stuff, but just your interface sucks. <laughs> anyway, all right. That's uh, uh, as for me. Twitter letterboxd at Blu-ray Closet. You can find us on Twitter at Screens Margins. If you're listening to this, you're a patron. Thank you so much for joining on this this journey. Is it's. it's been one one gigantic ride and it's almost over and i'm and i'm excited and scared and emotional uh this has been the most emotional episode of dance story they dance yet um all right uh thanks for listening because we know that there's a poll these days when it comes to films to focus only on the big and the mainstream stuff thanks for spending time with us today here on the margins good night ah.